Today on Movie Rollers, we talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Finally. It's time for Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And yes, as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming or in the back of Nair players, as we were. If you love the movies, this show is for you. It's the Barbenheimer episode. Finally. The, the, the much we, we have to talk about the production delay that we had with this episode. Yes, because, of course. Um, I think the world... The world was on fire with Barbenheimer and I think... The, we went the, MIA. We did. We got... There were accusations. Rumours of our demise are greatly yes. exaggerated. Yes. Um, no, I, think, I think you said that during the last podcast. We, no, we almost <laughs> we almost recorded before... We tried, yes. We tried. We yeah, tried. But we so could not. We've the, had to the, keep our mouths shut for three weeks together. So the reason that it's we... It's a good reason. Yeah, no. The reason of the production delays, we were all travelling. Together. Together. Together we, we were on the road. <laughs> we were. We took um, a trip. It was for my milestone birthday. I will keep my actual age a secret. You for turned anyone 20. That, <laughs> 21. 21 again. Yeah. Um, no, we did a... We, uh, Rashmi, thank you. You organised a most wonderful trip thank to you. Scotland, which is somewhere that I had been wanting to go for a long time. Uh, and the, the the irony to that is I fly to Scotland about once a year because my mum lives about an hour south of Edinburgh. So um, I've never been to... Beyond, beyond that little bit. I, I arrive in the airport and I drive south <laughs> and I sit in a little town called Jedburgh. Um, and that is what I know about Scotland. So I wanted to remedy that. And uh, we did in, in spectacular fashion. You have to grumble about our rental car company, uh, Green Motion. Boo! Boo. Never <laughs> use this company. The worst rental experience. I'll spare you listeners all of the, 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 the details, but just let it be known that as of right now, I am fighting them for about two and a half thousand dollars worth of damages that I didn't do. <laughs> I've got the proof. It's quite hilarious. Um, so yes, don't use that Green... That could be its own podcast. Really, don't use Green Motion. I, I rarely use this platform to kind of grumble about things, but honestly, Green Motion is is absolutely the worst company to deal with. They are disgusting. Do not use scam them. artists. Yes, Green Motion <laughs> is what my dog has when it eats that something sounds about bad, right. and that's yeah. about right. Yeah. They are pretty much like a piece of green poop. And yeah. it's hilarious because you know, but so if bad. I'd done my homework ahead of time, I may have found some of the the. the the statements I found online, there's, there's been stings of green motion by consumer affairs programs in the UK where they've, they, anyway, enough about green motion. I won't let that mar the, 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 the spectacular experience that was Scotland. We went to Skye, we went to Inverness, Edinburgh. Loch Ness. Loch Ness. Glencoe. No, we didn't do Glencoe. We went to Glenafric. Oh, Glenafric. that's right. Yeah, Glencoe. We couldn't make to Glencoe and Ullapool, which are a little bit that's north right. of yeah. where we And Craigalecki. We, we did Craigalecki. And a boyne where we met our wonderful friend Alison and Toby. Movie Wallers listeners. Movie so Wallers listeners who who <laughs> graced us with a delicious lunch and company. And and they live on heaven. Yes. They live like on this beautiful lake. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's we miss you, Alison and Toby. Can't wait to see you till you, when you get back in San Diego. So uh, 
It was spectacular. Rashmi, thank you for putting it together. Yazdi, thank you for being part of the celebrations. It was mm, a, a which good was wonderful. Six friends on a road trip, which was near perfect. What could be better? Good yeah. time in was the Scottish Highlands. Yes, it, it was. It was. I mean, I have to say, my expectation was train spotting, and we got Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, is we how got, I would describe it. We got it was a lot better of Harry than Harry Potter. Potter, I think. Oh yeah, but I'm just yeah. talking about like vistas and dramatic scenery, and mm-hmm. um, we you had know, no idea. I think. Well, I guess I had pools. no idea how much Harry oh, Potter was pools, filmed yes. in. Scotland. Yes. We saw Hogwarts. We did. We saw the, the viaduct, the Glenfinnan, I think I said that Aqueduct. the right way. Aqueduct, which is... The train. The, the train, the famous train shot as they go to Hogwarts after getting on the Jacobean steam and train. We saw the Diagon Alley. Um, Inspiration. Street, uh, in Queen Street. And we did see the location where J.K. Rowling wrote most of the mm-hmm. books, even though it was burned out. The so we could only see it from the outside. Cafe. Something, Something like elephant. That. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thank uh, you for having a birthday. <laughs> yes. And Scotland. Fringe, Sc- Fringe Festival was going on. I in, know. Uh, we didn't get Edinburgh. to. Didn't Edinburgh. Yeah. Get to Edinburgh. The Edinburgh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Say it how you like, Yazdi. It's, yes. it's, it's, um, and Yazdi, thank you for coming. Oh, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was, it was great. Just, it was wonderful, magical, perfect. So all of this babble is really our excuse as to why our Barbenheimer... Because we watched both movies before we left. We, we just did. didn't get time and to record. And I can't believe not, none of us have broken poker face yet. I have no idea what Rashmi thinks. I have my opinions on what she might think, but I really don't know what you think of it. So I'm really excited to do this podcast. Well, I'm wearing my Barbie pink t-shirt Uh-oh. with a Oppenheimer cardigan. Being a black cardigan. Yes. I don't, why is that Oppenheimer? Because... It was dark. dark and black. Okay. It should be nuclear fusion um, fission. Can't buy that cardigan <laughs> for a cheap pl- price. It might be glowing. Okay. Quick Netflix pick. Seeing as we've all been in the back of an aeroplane. Or you have to be poised to say something before you Sorry. said that. No, I just, I, I was listening to NPR on my way in and apparently there is a place <laughs> in Japan where you can buy a Barbie themed coffin. Just, really? just, put, just putting it out there. It's pink with white stripes and it's got a clear, you know, glass thing, like how the Barbie is normally packaged. So that's the extent wow. of the Barbie influence. Gosh. Only in Japan. <laughs> yes. So that's quite I'm, something, Yasdi. I will leave it at that. Yes. Sign me up for cremation. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've got two very big reviews. I imagine that there's quite a lot to be said about both of them, but. I think we got time for a Netflix pick. Yeah. Do it. Yep. So, this is our usual segment of I can't can't find find anything to watch watch on on VOD. And in the segment, we talk about many, many different streaming options. So, why don't we go around the table, find out what's in your queues? Uh, Don't forget to say which service of the many streaming services. It used to be just Netflix we talked about, but um, now we have 101 (laughs) different streaming platforms. So, um, Yazdi. What so you got? My recommendation is an Indian movie, uh, which is playing on Netflix. And it's a movie from 2004 and it's called Swades. S-W-A-D-E-S. Oh, I've seen that pop up a number of times. Uh, I thought it was Swades. 
Oh, well, that's how literally you were. Yeah. yeah. So look for Swades, S-W-A-D-E-S, <laughs> but it means Swades, which means uh, home country is, is, the, is the Indian translation of it. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, it's uh, directed by Ashutosh Kovarikar, who also directed Jodha Akbar as well as Lagan, two movies which uh, lovers of Indian cinema would be more familiar with. But I would urge people to actually check out Swadesh as well. Um, it's such a beautiful, heartfelt film. It's, uh, you know, it has Shah Rukh Khan in one of his best roles. And Shah Rukh Khan is, you know, uh, the golden child of Indian cinema has been for a couple of decades now. And it's a simple story about an Indian man um, who is working at NASA and uh, decides while he's working over there to go back and visit the little town in India that he grew up in. And the, the, the story documents him returning to the small town and kind of like, it really resonated for me because I'm always torn between two worlds. I grew up in India and I'm in the U S and you know, every time I go to India, a piece of me is there. And every time mm. I'm here, a piece of me is here, but the movie is so achingly, beautifully capturing kind of how a person might be torn between their desire to better their life and being in a place where prosperity awaits them versus their feeling of guilt and feeling of responsibility to better where they came from. Mm. And these sound like high morals, but it's done beautifully. And of course, you know, uh, Govarikar, this director is an absolute visualist. So it's a, it's a treat for the, for the eyes as well. So do check it out. It's, it's a truly inspirational, rousing, emotional, well done film Swades and mine is the complete opposite of that it's very lowbrow my movie is The Other Guys which is um, directed and written by Adam McKay it's a kind of lowbrow fun buddy cop movie with Will Farrell and um, Mark Wahlberg mm -hmm. in the lead roles and it's just super fun it's really silly but it's exactly what you need um in the back of an aeroplane, which is where I watched it. So um, the other guys, it's been out quite a while and you can watch that on um, a number of different platforms. You can watch it on Peacock. You can um, rent it for a dollar on Apple TV or Prime or iTunes. So not free other than on Peacock, um, but available for a very nominal fee on any of those other platforms. So the other guys. Sounds like a good choice. And my movie... I was going to recommend, but I can't no, really can't recommend it. No, you can't. That's cheating. You can't say I was going to. I always then do you this. get two. I know. I and then I'll this. have to call you Yazdi. But no, my, 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 my recommend, not recommend, was actually just something I wanted to talk about, which is Avatar The Way of Water, which I managed to watch on British Airways. Did you finish watching it? I did, in the end. Ah. Um, and um, here's what I'll say. I mean, it doesn't. it's a spectacle of a movie. Um, it was actually... You know, not as awful as I think I thought it would be. So I'm not going to recommend it because it's something that I think could only and should only ever be seen mm -hmm. in the theatre. I think it lost a couple of points being seen, especially in the back of an airplane, but in any other format. I took a sneak peek on our home TV as well, and it just it's 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 beautiful, yeah. but it's not breathtakingly beautiful as I think it would have been. Um, and and obviously, you didn't see it in 3D. No, no. And I think, again, as I looked, I kept thinking about that as I was watching it, I was thinking this would have been terrific if the 3D was um, mm -hmm. convincing. Um, no, my real pick is the other movie that I watched back in the back of an airplane in February, <laughs> February this year. And Yazdi, I think you watched on the flight with 
me with us to Scotland, which N- was not three days ago. Yes, uh, Living, starring Bill Nye. Uh, Living is directed by Oliver Hermanus. So you have all this information. And was nominated in the last Oscar season. Bill Nye was. It's a movie that I guess all of us missed um, in the run up to. And all of us watched it in the back of an airplane. Oh, you saw it in the back of an airplane as well? Uh, So, yeah, I watched it um, a few months ago now and it's kind of stayed (laughs) with me. It's it's a very... um, It's a very moving movie. Uh, You know, I think I've, I've heard from... Uh, a friend of the podcast, Mike, who said it was one of the few movies that had made him cry in recent years. Um, I did find it very deeply affecting. Um, Bill Nye's performance was, was spectacular and really worth the, the, the effort alone. So it's now streaming on Netflix. And, and I know yesterday, I think you wanted to say a couple of words about it as well. Yeah, it's a remake of a 1952 Japanese movie by uh, Akira Kurosawa called Ikiru, which means to live. Um, it goes for the big themes and this mm. kind of stuff can get really bogged down. You know, it, it can come off very sentimental. It can come off preachy. It can come off, you know, it's like, what is the meaning of life and what happens to us? And, and But it kind of very easily makes all of the points it wants to make. I, I think, to be honest, I think the movie does kind of, its hand gets a little heavy towards the end. Yeah. A little too heavy in, at the very end. But in spite of that, for the kind of stuff that it covers, it's it's quite remarkable. I, I really liked every character in the movie. There's almost something theatrical about it. It doesn't seem, especially the first half mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Uh, because it's about, you know, this very, very regimented office. Proper. proper office in Britain. Yeah. So, And I can totally see how, you know, that might happen in Japan as well, which is also a very hierarchical society where where you are as a boss where, where everybody else is in their place at work. It all mm-hmm. plays out very nicely. Um, I also like, uh, I don't want to call her the female lead, but the, but, but the one uh, female actress in the movie, uh, heartbreakingly good. Amy I, Lou Wood. I didn't love it. You I have to say, it. no, I liked Bill Nye's performance and I can see why he got nominated, but it didn't, it didn't move me. I almost needed it to be a bit more heavy handed the entire way through. Um, it was a bit more like you have to let it wash over you, I think, I found as it, opposed to, you know, well, really emotional. I think it's quite masculine. Yeah. In its perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, maybe that's why it didn't work as well on you. Maybe. Um, the way it looks at its characters and the way it kind of handles um, Bill Nye's predicament, I think, you know. And to me, to me, it kind of felt very much from from you know an, an older man's perspective rather than um, something that maybe you would connect with as much. But yeah, I think for the for our viewers, if they want to, or for our listeners, if they want to decide if they want to watch the movie or not, maybe we should give a one line uh, synopsis of it. And yeah, I'm happy to do oh, it. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yes, which is that in 1950s London, a humorless bureaucrat decides to take time off work to experience life after receiving a grim diagnosis. It's not as grim as it sounds, um, but it's it's very... I, I really like the structure of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of... Um, it takes its time. It, all, it almost starts as a very dry kind of commentary on class initially and hierarchy and kind of then moves into something a little darker and deeper. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, if people if people complain that there isn't anything good to watch, anything chewy, I think this is a really nice chewy film. Yeah. So that's Living on Netflix. Rashmi, the other guys on um, streaming on um, Peacock or available for a small nominal fee on Apple, iTunes, um, Prime. And everywhere else. Yeah. And yes, the yours was? My pick is also Netflix pick and it's the movie Swades, S-W-A-D-E-S. Or if you have trouble remembering it, remember Swades, S-W-A-D-E-S. <laughs> yeah. uh, you will really enjoy it. Excellent. Okay. Drum roll. It's time, it's time for Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I think rather than doing the Barbenheimer, which was the, the meme joke that went around the world, uh, we have elected to do Oppen Barbie. Uh, so <laughs> let's begin with Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Okay. So... Um, during World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project, which you may have all heard about. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on July the 16th, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history. So this is uh, directed and written by Christopher Nolan. Its runtime is Three hours. That's important for you to know. And one minute. <laughs> sure. Um, and this has everyone and their mother in it, including Cillian Murphy as Robert Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Rami Malek, Florence Pugh, Benny Safdie, um, Josh Harnett's here, Kenneth Branagh, Casey Affleck. Um, there are so many. Gary Oldman's here, Jason Clark, Jack Quaid, Christopher Nolan, and Emma Thompson produce. Um, so... I'm not going to start with Joe because I don't want to hear too much gush um, to start with. Um, but I will start with Yazdi and then move on to Joe. And before we go there, I mean, I think um, one of the things that Nolan does very successfully in terms of hyping his movies, is talk about film formats and viewing. Uh, I was lucky enough to see this in 70 millimeter. Um, there's only one theater in San Diego, which will do a 70 millimeter actual film print. And that's the, um, it's the one in Grossmont. Uh, the oh, I should. I, I think it's an AMC. It is an AMC uh, in, in yeah in Grossmont. In Grossmont. Yeah, Grossmont Mesa. Theaters, thank La you. Mesa. Yeah, so I didn't get a chance to see this one in IMAX, which I think um, is the, the the kind of the definitive way to to see this movie. But um, yeah, film formats are important. Think think carefully if you plan to see this movie about where you want to see it. Okay, yes, the Yazdi, what did you think of Oppenheimer? So before I get into that, I, I had a choice between watching it under Limax, fake IMAX, uh, or watching it 70 millimeters. There, were, there is no local, at least uh, we would have to go to Orange County to watch one, which is true IMAX and 70 millimeter. So I chose 70 millimeter, sorry, I chose IMAX or Limax. So I did not watch it under 70 millimeter, but I did watch it under IMAX. Um, so uh, Oppenheimer. Every, oh, and we should yes. also mention... Um, let's just also mention for our for our listeners, Joe saw the screening of Oppenheimer first and then Barbie, and I watched Barbie, then Oppenheimer, and Yazdi opted opt for Oppen, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer for, followed which is, by dinner and then Barbie. Yes, yeah, so you did one that day. in one day. In one day, yes. Yeah, so that would be, let's talk about that maybe after both. Sure. Yeah. Go, Yazdi. We so, cannot delay this any longer. We cannot. So, um... 
I like the movie. Um, You're starting with that? Yes, okay, I'm starting good. with the fact okay. that I like the movie, but I had a lot of issues with it, of course. Um, for me, it's the movie, it is kind of Christopher Nolan doing Oliver Stone. I did not think that Nolan is such is such a trickster, right? He, he, he likes labyrinths and he likes puzzles and, you know, so he, he, this was, for him to go after a biopic was kind of unusual. So it's, this is definitely not the film I was expecting and that is fine. Uh, and I appreciate being educated on the covert specifics of what transpired around Oppenheimer's atomic bomb creation effort and the morass of collusion, power grabs, political skullduggery that played out during and after the Japanese bombing. A full third of an already 181-minute film is about the collision of science and fascism that is achingly relevant to the current times, I think. So the complicated, often intractable moral complexities that a script you know, brings to the surface are very commendable. So I appreciate learning about all of this but not like this. I really had a problem with how the film is structured. I had a problem with the music, but we can talk more about it. Um, and I think, I think my biggest issue with this movie, my biggest criticism of it is that the movie is sort of a defense of Oppenheimer the man. Hmm. It, it wants to get him off the hook. Hmm. And I don't know that he's a character who needs to be let off the hook. Okay. But we'll, we'll talk more about it. Joe. And that perspective may come from American Prometheus. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. book that right. inspired right. Nolan, Nolan right. to, to make this movie. So I haven't read that. Um, I've looked it up. What? And it's, it's, you haven't? Well, it's quite a tome. I mean, I, I looked it up and it's, it's hundreds of pages long. I want to say something like eight to nine hundred pages long. It's a, it's a phenomenal, um, phenomenally sized book. Um, I it sounds think the, like a Vikram set. Even on audiobook, I think it was close to 30 hours of running. So... I just couldn't invest uh, in, in that. But so here's what I'll say. I mean, everyone knows on Movie Wallers that I'm the, the biggest fan of Christopher Nolan, bit of a fanboy, um, pretty much like everything that he has done. Um, he is, it's very hard for me to be objective about a Nolan movie. And as you probably guessed, I liked this a lot. Now, what I will say about it is, um, it's it's quite different to what Nolan has done mm -hmm. uh, up, up until this point. And I really like that he has, um, you know, taken a chance to do something um, a bit more um, cerebral and character driven. You know, Nolan movies tend to be very, very, um, you know, bombast and... Um, like you say, he has the puzzles, mechanical, um, high concept things like Inception. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the Dark Knight movies were, were done with, with very dark and deep themes. Um, th this this is um, a, a very departure. a very dialogue driven movie. In fact, I think somebody asked me about what I thought about the movie, and I said, "Look, um, you have to understand that this is." This is not your typical Nolan, Chris Nolan movie where it's all about visual spectacle. Yes, that stuff is in there, but there is a lot of this movie where it is people talking in rooms for extended periods of time. I mean, there is a lot of talking. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt your thing. It is three hours of people talking. Yeah, Let's just be clear. It's, it is three it hours really of people is. talking. Yeah. It yeah. really is. And the whole Manhattan Project um, is, is done, um, you know, which gave me some historical insights. And it's, Actually, three movies in one, because the movie has three very distinct segments to it. The first one being Oppenheimer's early life, 
the middle one being the Manhattan Project and the development of the atomic bomb, and then the third one being kind of some of the political fallout and some of the stuff, the themes that Yazdi raised. So, not my favorite Nolan movie in terms of Nolan movie, but it's it's very accomplished. It's 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 incredibly it's incredibly well done, and it's a really interesting way to do a biopic. And you know, I I feel like they, he lost some of what he started out with at the beginning of the movie, which was all this kind of um, almost you know one second long kind of visual images where you kind of get to see in some mm-hmm. ways what he thinks was going on in Oppenheimer's brain, how he saw the world in terms of physics and and atoms. And, and then we kind of lose that thread later on. Nonetheless, very, very smart movie. Gorgeous to look at in 70 millimeter. I have to I have to just say that this movie is just uh, a jaw-droppingly, achingly well shot. You know, cinematography awards, pretty much hand the Oscar to Hoyt Van Hoytemar on this one. But um, yeah, I'll stop there and let Rashmi have a chance. Yes, yeah, I think your your uh, comparison to, you know, Nolan does um, Oliver Stone. Stone is absolutely spot on. Um, I love this movie. I think this is quite magnificent. Wow. Um, from the acting to the cinematography to the directing. Yes, yeah, I love the music in terms of the... Um, in terms of the 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 world we're in, um, and the story is really interesting too. I didn't know much about the Manhattan Project. I'd never seek to find out much about it. I think it's a pretty flawless movie, except I would say a tad too long. That caused me about three five to ten minute snoozes, but I don't think I missed much in those three <laughs> five to ten minute snoozes. It's beautifully and meticulously crafted and the attention to detail is second to none. I will second what you said though yesterday. It's literally three hours of talking, but I found the construction of it really interesting. And I love the way that it juxtaposes kind of what's happened in this court case and you know, the, the kind of the, the, the miscarriage of justice potentially, um, which is so relevant to what's going on today. So I really like those themes. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was, I'm going to say I was blown away. Wow. I, I love this movie. I don't know if I could watch it again, but I really, really, really was quite engaged other than the three, five minute snoozes. Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I, I admire... Listen, this movie has now made more money than... I think the only movie that Nolan... It's made more movie than Inception. It's made more, more movie money. than... Is it really? More money. Yeah, it has made more money than Inception, more wow. money than Interstellar. And the fact that a three-hour movie about the father of the atomic bomb, which is mostly people talking can get people's butts in this in the in the cinemas around the world is some mm. kind of feat and it speaks to Nolan's rising or as, continued ascension you know he's he's a brand onto himself that people you, the studios are able to kind of build on it and kind of bring people to the seat so i i appreciate that i bow to that for me i saw all the nolanisms here yeah. which which kind of are his trademark but i think also weigh him down like it literally drops you in the middle of things without giving you any background, any information. The movie just drops you. It just yeah. starts from nowhere. There's no opening credits. Um, and it's, in my opinion, I really usually appreciate a nonlinear story. But in this case, you know, this back and forth, back and, It took me like a full hour into the movie before I realized young Oppenheimer, old Oppenheimer, what he's imagining. And there is, look, there is like 18 characters in the movie, two female ones, 18 male characters in the movie, they come and go. 
and constantly, I, constantly yeah. they're coming and going. And I, I think just a linear story would have done so much better. I know he's trying to do the look, ma, no hands. I can, I can jump back and forth in time. That's his thing. But I think he lacks the slate of hand to pull off the connective tissue between all of this. I was scratching my head through the entire film trying to piece, okay, Josh Hartnett, now who is he? And, you know, Robert Downey Jr., who is he? Maybe I was just tired that day. I saw it on a Friday after work. But it, 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 I think it was unnecessarily complicated by way of storytelling. And not complicated... Um, the, the script itself is fine, but this back and forth, back and forth, which I don't serves, I don't think it serves any purpose. See, I actually like that, Yasdi, because in a sense, it kind of, I think a linear story would have been really boring. And so I think he almost needed to do that back and forth, back and forth. Like, it doesn't matter who these people are. Ultimately, it's about Oppenheimer himself, right? It's Oppenheimer's journey and it's Oppenheimer's arc, in a sense. So I didn't mind the back and forth because it kind of kept me more engaged. And I worried that a linear story at three hours long, unless he'd done something to really kind of contract it, would have been really boring. And the back and forth, I think, is done in many ways to kind of provide the appropriate context for the next set of things that you see. So it's not back and forth randomly it's back and forth in a way to try and give you some perspective on what's kind of coming up next and with nolan movies the truth of them is they are so visually audio um audio visually and um scriptically is that if if that's a word i'm just going to make it up if it's not intense that they almost always demand multiple viewings to catch everything because i i'll say if i managed to catch you know 60% 60% of what was going on, I would be pretty impressed with myself. I think, honestly, there's, there's a lot here that I didn't see. It's it's very intense. And it's, and because of its dialogue heaviness, you, you're always, you're always like, you, like you said, trying to catch up with what just happened. Yeah, it, but it shouldn't be this difficult. It took, I mean, I watched... But that's the, Nolan. I know that's I mean, Nolan. Tenet, Tenet was... I love Dunkirk. I adore Dunkirk. I don't think Dunkirk... Dunkirk actually that... That time dilation is a work of genius, I think. If I may use the G word here, it's just like, look, ma, no hands, I think. Yeah. I, and there's, it took me like, after I watched the movie, three days later, I was like, why are some scenes in black and white? Why are some in color? No explanation. And I had to read and read and read before I realized, supposedly, the colors in black and white time. are based on what is objectively known as the truth. Right. Whereas the water, everything which is in color is somebody's assumption of what he might have right. thought or what he might have said. Well, if if I watch the whole movie and I don't realize that and I have to go figure it out afterwards. Anyway, I mean, I, I didn't so he, realize that. I, th- I actually thought they were time. Um, so, I mean, so I like that he challenges the audience, but, you know, the, the stuff which really bothered me <laughs> and may, maybe it's because I saw it in IMAX and it was very loud is there is, I think I, I need to watch it again. Maybe at some point I will. But I think there is two minutes in the movie where there's no background music. And there are two very critical minutes in the movie. Every other scene in the movie, it, the, the, the score is like blasting. I'm like, chill down. There are two people on a sofa talking. The movie doesn't have to, <laughs> doesn't have to reach this crescendo like somebody's taking off to the moon. Like It's, like, it's just constantly blanking. It's, it's almost like Oppenheim, uh, uh, Nolan felt that if he paused 
that people will not stay with him, that people will get bored. So he or is... Or snooze. Or snooze, because even, even the way the editing has been done, scenes hurtle into each other. Like literally somebody saying something halfway, it jumps into another scene, another yeah. scene. So there's this breakneck speed at which it is going, which I think makes it even more demanding. Mm-hmm. And then the last Nolanism that, that I'm going to bring up is, as always, he's unable to write female characters of any complexity. There are two female characters in this yeah. movie. Poor Florence Pugh suffers the fate of Marion Cotillard in, yes. in, in uh, Inception, which is, she is this, you know, uh, Muse. difficult, you know, imbalanced pixie, you know, woman. And then poor Emily Blunt, at least she gets something to do. She's, she, she gets a little bit more than just being the supportive wife. But even her, the first two times you see her, she's literally out of focus in the background while Killian Murphy is talking. She's literally out of focus. So I, I know that, that Nolan is incapable of having a feminine sensibility to his movies, but I, he, the, the, I mean, there are 18 male characters, two female characters. Those female characters don't do well. Yeah, and poor Florence fine. Pugh having to be poor, so naked. Poor Florence Pugh. I felt bad for her. I, I felt know, bad for her I, as I well. I know she wants to be in a, in a, in a Nolan movie. She doesn't have much to do. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Gary Oldman doesn't have much to do. They're all like, you know, coming in, doing their bit and going away. I completely disagree. I think Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt play two absolutely pivotal characters in terms of helping us understand the man that was Oppenheimer. And, and yes, you, you're going to say that they're not especially well developed as characters. Right. And that's, that's true. But I, mean. I, I will disagree that Nolan can't write female characters. Simply if you watch Interstellar one more time, you'll see the Jessica Chastain character of Murph is is extraordinarily right. Yeah, but that's because you've was watched it 700 movie? times, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> was she I was going to say, movie? if you watch the movie 700 times, you I can figure... I have seen the movie about 700 times. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. That's but I, I think they did... They were, they were there for what they needed to be because they, they weren't necessarily... The movie wasn't about them. The movie was about the man and the role that these women played in his life that then ultimately led to some consequences and uh, I, I don't know I, I, I'm, I'm going to fight you on that one yesterday <laughs> but I, again I haven't read this American Prometheus so I don't know how much of it is that that story is written like that or if it's something that Nolan's done but I I don't know I wanted more from those characters um, so let me let me get to my final point mm. um well, we can talk a lot more, but my, my final issue with the movie is, and again, it may not be endemic to Nolan, who is a co-writer on this. It may be endemic to, like you said, the book on which it is based, which is that it wants to give Oppenheimer, the character, um, kind of a free pass. He's supposed to be this philandering guy, but that almost is played off affectionately. He's supposed to be arrogant, but it's almost like kind of cute that he kind of is disdainful of people around him, which is fine. Okay, you can, that's fine. No, you, you he's can, a genius. You're right, he's a genius. So he has to be yeah. arrogant. I was yeah. going to say, so, and, and he's a genius, right? So right. one would say in today's world, he would be on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely, yeah. And, and you watch old clips of yeah. him, of the actual Oppenheimer, and you realize that, yeah, he's, he's uh, not, not your typical person. But I think, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't want to get into spoiler territory, although not, none of this is spoiler. If you just open a history book, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. I did not know about it. So that's, I love that this movie gave me this great history lesson, but 
the movie almost implies that this guy who worked for three, four years in develop, there was an arms race to end mm-hmm. World War II. He worked for three or four years to develop the first bomb with the explicit intent of killing people. And he felt no guilt for it until the first bombs had already been dropped. So it kind of gets him off the hook saying, oh, poor guy, you know, he didn't even realize how bad it was until after the drums, bomb, bombs dropped. And then he sees people's faces peeling and corpses that he's walking over. It really lets him off the hook. I cannot for a minute believe that Oppenheimer, the person, did not realize he was building something explicitly for the purpose of killing people in the thousands. You no. can't absolve right. him. I was gonna you can't absolve him of that guilt. No, I don't think he's trying to, Yasti. It is. I, I think, no. no, I think the movie does a good job of saying there's the pursuit of science and any scientist worth their salt wants to pursue that dream of what science can bring regardless of what it brings and the consequences. And then the person who separates themselves from the achievement of that science has a conscience. So I actually felt like the movie did a good job of saying, I want to pursue this science because I want to pursue the science. But he wasn't making a a new iPhone. He was building the bomb. Yes, the the context in which the bomb was built was we need this otherwise to end the world I, no, I get no, it. we need this before someone else gets it correct right and so that was the the impetus to 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 get there right i think once it's created huh. you have to take a look at what you've actually done and i think that's what happened here no, this I is disagree. what they're trying you, to you have to take a look before you did it he was not well, making no, the iphone I, I think he was looking at it before he did it i think no. i think what had to happen though is if if we didn't have it then the thought was then they would have it and they would they would have this over us right so it, it's a necessary thing but once it's used and remember that, that i mean that's the line in the movie right we won't understand it until we use it right and that that's 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 really what it's trying to kind of come across to say you 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 can't have it both ways right you exactly have to- you cannot have it both ways my point is you cannot say i'm going to build something which is going to stop world war 2 without knowing that you're going to stop world war 2 by killing a lot of people I and, think and uh, it's how the movie is structured. I, I would have there no may problem. Be, there may have been a naivety in terms of um, having it was the threat, right? I, Using it was the thing that I think. But the movie is constantly apologizing for him. It's apologizing for his bad behavior, for his philandering. It's apologizing. It's almost implying that he did not have this. He did not realize the horror of what he had done until it had already happened, which I don't believe. And also the movie is rightly so making the point that he very quickly became somebody who was uh, uh, he was a victim of, of other people doing you know of, of other people using him politically which absolutely happened and I understand that and a movie does a good job of it but I came if somebody didn't know I think if somebody comes out of the movie thinking this guy was some little naif of a person who was badly treated by the world. And I think it's I more complex than that. I don't think it paints that picture at all. I thought that that's how no, it came away. I like poor, I, poor, poor Oppenheimer. No, Everybody used him and he was mistreated no, by American politics. That's and not, no, 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 yes. no, no. So that's, tell not, me. that's not how tell I me. read the movie at all. No, I mean, I think he he was portrayed as, as like Rashmi said, the ambitious scientist. I mean, right. his, the first third of the movie was all about his academic drive and his arrogance and, and really... 
you know, the, the, the way he treated the, the, the women in his life, you know, I mean, he was an ass, right? So I didn't think it deified him at all. Me neither. I think in the final half but of the movie... But he's affectionate, he thought. No, no, no. In the final half, in the final part of the movie where we see the political right. uh, maneuvers around him, especially right. with the Robert Downey Jr. character, right. I think it's saying that history handled him badly right because for that what happened then was this man that had effectively created right. the technology that allowed america and western values to to dominate and ultimately prevail um uh, and and really set the tone of the the rest of the 20th century right america having nuclear arms really created what became the rest of the 20th century in terms of you know, warfare. If we if we hadn't had that, there was always this fear that America and then Russia um, could use these weapons. So it was, they're saying that this man that enabled America's dominance was then systematically taken apart by these accusations of espionage and all this other kind of right. stuff that happened. So I don't think it was necessarily saying poor Oppenheimer. I think it was saying, what did we do to this character that, that effectively created the Western dominance um, in the latter part of the 20th century that then set the culture and um, and the world. And I love that piece. I love the part where it's like science versus fascism, science versus, you know, political hegemony. So I, because it's very relevant to what's going on right now. Right. But I could not shake off the film that the movie is... The whole movie seemed like one big apology for Oppenheimer no, to me. I, 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 because it's he's, because you, his, yeah. his philandering is played off as, oh, this is something he did. He tossed no. this person around. You know, it, it, I thought he was a dick. Me too. I mean, I, 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 I thought he did a good job. Because look, at the end of the day, Yassi, I don't think it was about him so much as the person, as the process. And again, I think if it had been just a biopic about him as opposed to the process, we may have seen a different movie. But I didn't. It, I didn't feel sympathetic towards Not him. I all. thought he was an awful man. Yeah. He was an awful husband. Um, he was an arrogant yeah. dick, basically. But I I like the way that it... And I think he's almost... You, you see his shame during that... The, the, um, the trial, you know, the, yeah. the fake trial. I think you get a sense of his shame um, when his wife is in the room and he has to answer some really difficult questions right. about his philandering. So... Um, can, can we move on yes, to the yes, acting as yes. opposed because these are things we can't really defend <laughs> yeah, these are great yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say I, I think Cillian Murphy was Killian. Killian Killian Murphy was amazing and Robert Downey Jr. I want one right those Oscar nominations right For now sure. Best, yeah. best actor sure. and best supporting. Yeah, Danny Jr. was amazing. An amazing. Uh, I mean, this this movie, the camera is constantly in his face. Yeah, uh, and somehow, despite the immense amount of dialogue that this movie carries, there's a lot that also happens off the page. There's been some interesting. Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen a fair amount of you know promotional material around the movie, and and you know Nolan actually wrote this script in uh, the first person. The entire movie is written in the first person through the eyes of Oppenheimer. So, um, you know, maybe some of the sympathies that you're getting there, Yazdi, is because this is intended to be written as Oppenheimer himself would have viewed these events as opposed to something more objective. Um, but you can tell that the way it was filmed and the way that K 
Killian Murphy was looking at this. It, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's a very, very memorable performance. And yeah, he's, he's definitely Murphy on the list. Is great. And, you know, um, Nolan has worked with him for decades. And I think maybe part of it is the f- somewhat physical uh, resemblance. Um, but what a, what a gift it is to him as, as an actor. Like this yes. big, big movie. I mean, he he's... You know, he's in more than half the movie. Maybe he's in three quarters of the movie. Maybe he's in 100% of the movie. I don't know. But, uh, and he is, he's exceptional. So I, I've, I've absolutely, I wouldn't, uh, in fact, I would, uh, uh, what's the word? I would uh, push him for, for, for end of year acting nominations, as I would definitely Robert Downey Jr. I'd be very surprised if Robert Downey Jr. did not pick up uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination, for sure. Um, I was really surprised by Josh Hartnett. I was like, who is this person? He yes. looks really familiar. I'm like, he looks really familiar. Who is this actor? And then it's only when I saw the uh, the credits that I realized, oh, that was Josh Hartnett. And the other one that surprised me was uh, Aiden Einren. Uh, I always get his name butchered. Aiden Einrenrich. Oh, Alden, 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 Alden yeah, He was very good. He's, he's been missing for a while. He has. Uh, but when he showed up, uh, he, he played a character that I wouldn't expected um, him to be cast at. And he nailed it. It was just a very, um, very small, but very memorable uh, movie. I think he even had the final line of the movie or he's in the final scene uh, or very close to the end. Okay. All right. Should we get? Yeah. Should we wind this one up? Let's let's do it. Go on. Rush me. Um, again, I'll, I'll start, I'll, I'll end as I started. This one will blow you away. Um, if not just because it's a great movie, just the spectacle of it all. Um, and that it's an interesting story. So this is easily an eight out of 10 for me. Yeah, it's an eight out of 10 for me as well. I would recommend everybody watch it. Um, mostly because it's, it kind of turns the pages, um, of our history books, which haven't been opened in a long, long time. And I think this story needs to be told and people need to understand. I, I had only, I'd heard of the Manhattan Project. I'd heard about the Los Alamos, you know, uh, unit where they were, we were working on it, but to kind of see it in more detail. Um, I really like, like I said, I like the structure of the movie because actually the, the main, you know, the stories, the story kind of reaches its uh, climax, if you will, like in, two hours into the three hour movie. And I'm like, well, there's one more hour. Wait, you know, mm. right. what's, what, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it kind of circles back and kind of uh, delves into some of the more, you know, politically gnarly issues. So I, you know, I love all of that. I love how much of a, um, how relevant it is to what is happening right now, Yeah. you know, politically as well as, you know, science being, being, uh, misjudged and sullied and, and so forth. So it's very, and, very, and very the whole arms race, right? It feels like we're in yeah. kind of like an arms race again. Yeah. So people Just should, the players yeah. are different. Yeah. So people should absolutely watch it. I didn't care for the music. And, and then I'm going to be extra controversial and I'm going to say this and people are going to spit on my face and send me bad emails. <laughs> but so be it. I'm going to come out and say, this movie does not need to be seen in 70mm. It does not need to be seen in IMAX. It's people talking. And, you know, uh, him, what's his name? Uh, Nolan has said that he wanted to avoid all CGI. So all the explosions that you see, they are actual explosions which have been shot with high resolution cameras. So... You know, people are killing themselves to buy, you know, drive hundreds of miles to watch this in in IMAX and, uh, you know, 70mm. Maybe save it for, 
you know, your second watch of Tenet or your second watch of uh, <laughs> Inception. So, okay. To which Eight I, out of 10, definitely worth watching. To which I will say is drive to your nearest 70mm projection <laughs> and IMAX theatre to go see this in IMAX because um, it's only when you see the clarity of a 70mm print do you actually understand just how visually impactful all of this uh, movie is? You know, sure, we're not getting sweeping vistas and landscapes and, you know, uh, all of that stuff. It's very focused on people. It's very focused on Oppenheimer's face for much of the, mm -hmm. the, the movie. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of, you know, stuff made about they had to create the 70 millimeter IMAX black and white format. IMAX didn't actually um, have a black and white format. So, you know, that was worked on by Kodak's uh, for, for, for this movie. But it's, it's, it's a visual treat when you see um, just how, you know, in the, the, mo the screening I saw, they were, give they were handing out these little celluloid um, thumbnail. You know, you've got a little strip of mm. celluloid for Oppenheimer and, and you see how big the actual, mm. the, 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 it, 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 every bit of that detail kind of pops on, on screen and, you know, you're looking at a film format that is, it makes you somewhat nostalgic. I mean, digital is great, but when you see film again with all of its kind of flaws, because of the, the, the projectionist at the, the, it's actually the Reading Grossmont, I think um, didn't quite, you know, they're out of, they're out of um, practice for projecting film and especially these large IMAX, IMAX reels. It was juddery for a good third of the movie until they kind of got it settled down and under control. There was a bit of film shake to it, hmm. um, which, you know, was detracting, but it, it looked it looked like a million dollars. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Um, it's not my favourite Nolan movie, but I think it's because, again, it's a very, like, people talking in rooms um, for, for a lot of movies. It's so dialogue heavy, and, and I think of Nolan as kind of a, a, a visual bombastic um, you know, action-oriented kind of director. This is a much kind of smaller, more intimate portrayal of of, of, of a, a specific person. Um, I, I and I will say that I stayed a little bit outside of the movie emotionally. Mm -hmm. I don't think this movie affected me very much at all um, in terms of uh, coming away with kind of any positive or negative feelings about Oppenheimer. I mean, I just didn't. I I, I watched it for the, the the grandeur of it, but not necessarily. Um, it didn't, you know, pull me into his world in the same way as, for example, you know, uh, A Beautiful Mind, Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind from a few years ago, which is also about, you know, uh, an amazing scientist. So different stories, but nonetheless, uh, I felt much more emotionally connected to that one than I did this. What was your score? Eight. Eight. Oh. Yep. Um, one more than Tenet, by the way. Remember, I mm. gave Tenet a seven. So really? you know, let let it be known that I can you be objective. Tenet a seven. I didn't understand Tenet. I, I still, still don't, don't understand. I watched it. I watched it twice <laughs> since, and I still can't unpack it. Uh, so it's a frustrating it's puzzle unpackable. box of a movie. No, I can't. I, can't. I want to like it. I, I bought it. I you know, and I I, I admire it, but. I don't. I, I don't think you should don't donate to the Chris Nolan Fund anymore, Joe. <laughs> yeah, you should not be sending. <laughs> yeah, you should not be spending. Correct. To Nolan. I'm going to buy Oppenheimer. You can leave me alone. Um, all right, uh, let's switch over Yay! to something very different, which is Barbie. So I was kind of annoyed that 
you know, two good big blockbusters are being released at the same time. And, you know, they unnecessarily created this when they could have just separated their release dates by, you know, two weeks and both could have... A day. A day. Oh, yeah. Both could have prevailed. But after having watched both of those movies, I'm glad that they did what they did because actually I think the Venn diagram for the two does not inter- intersect much, uh, I think. I mean, so th- many people, I'd say 50% of the people may enjoy both of them, but I think your hardcore Barbie fan is probably not going to be a hardcore Oppenheimer fan. So I, I hate to admit, but I think... The, the intersection studio, of the Venn diagram is, right. is film geeks, yeah. right? Those of yeah. us that love movies, but, yeah. you know, the mass, the world at large is, is not necessarily um, right. aligned with us on that. So um, Barbie... Finally, is the movie based on Barbie the doll. Mattel famously, uh, you know, released the doll. And uh, I understand that they were trying to get a movie version of Barbie made for like 20, 30 years. And it's kind of gone through several different iterations. Several different actors have been considered for it. Nicole Kidman was at one time, long time ago. Um, And then uh, Greta Gerwig, after having made it, after having been nominated, after having made two Oscar nominated movies back to back, which was Lady Bird and then her adaptation of The Little Women, very surprisingly took on the duties to write and direct uh, Barbie, which was a you know big surprise to everyone. So yeah. here we are, finally we see the fruits of that labor. So Barbie um, is, uh, you know, the live action version of the Mattel toy. And the one liner is that Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Um, It's written by Greta Gerwig and her partner, Noah Baumbach. Uh, The two of them have written and directed individually, and they've also written screenplays together. Here, they both get writing credits. And then the movie stars Margot Robbie as your quintessential Barbie. But there are other Barbies. Kate McKinnon is a Barbie. Issa Rae is a Barbie. (laughs) Alexander Shipp is a Barbie. Emma McKee is a Barbie. Uh, Harry Neff, uh, Ritu Arya, Dua Lipa. That Dua Lipa is a Barbie. Uh, and then there are many Kens. Uh, hmm. Simu Liu is a Ken, but I think the quintessential, I don't think, I know the quintessential Ken year is played by none other than Ryan Gosling. So uh, this movie, of course, came with great fanfare. Uh, Mattel bankrolled this movie and it's made some billion dollars already. Gazillion dollars, yeah. yeah. So what do you guys think of Barbie? Okay. So I am the, as, as Joe is to Christopher Nolan, Rashmi is to Barbie. Um, and I was kind of worried about this movie um, because what is there to say in a movie about Barbie? Here's what I will say. The first 20 minutes is so good and so promising. And then it devolves into something of an eaten mess, i.e. it has really tasty ingredients, but it's kind of thrown together. It's supposed to be satirical and it just falls flat and feels like we're being lectured to. I have so much to say about the, about, about this movie, but I'll hand it over to you, Joe, and then we can come back. So, yeah, I mean, when I heard that Greta Gerwig was going to be at the helm of this, I got really excited because I think, um, you know, as we know, someone with Greta Gerwig's kind of intelligence and, um, and, and, and sheer craft, right? I mean, she, she's a great writer. She's a phenomenal actor. She's a, a very, very good director with, you know, Lady Bird coming before this as well as uh, Little Women, both movies that I admire, you know, beyond rationale and reason. Um, so really excited to see this movie. And I have to say, um, I'm disappointed. Um, I think this movie, you know, comes at its, 
comes at it with a self-awareness that I think is initially, like you say, Rashmi, very clever. But then I think it doesn't know what to do with its all with all its cleverness. And um, it quickly gets into kind of all this kind of existential, um, you know, like heavy themes. And I just found that the movie lacked fun. And I think that Barbie movie, by its definition, should have some element of fun. But it lost that and got bogged down with this heavy somewhat anti-male agenda you know it's, an, it's a very strong it's a very strongly feminist agenda i get that and i love that and I admire that and i love that little girls get to see that but it weighs itself down with all this crap so um i ended up kind of disappointed in fact the audience that i was with uh, including a couple of family members we all kind of left silent you know there was a few people cheering in the back but the, the crowd was strangely subdued i felt that you know we we saw it on opening day everyone was there in their pink outfits and ready to have a good time and even though some of the jokes were quite funny the overall sentiment of the people walking out i just sensed was very flat so um yeah disappointing yasti so i i hadn't seen a barbie until i came to the u.s i didn't grow up with barbies that i have like zero emotional connection with it the only time i'd heard of barbie like even 30 you know, whatever, when I first came to the U.S. was in the context of how harmful it is and how it, you know, it puts these impossible, you know, ideals of physical perfection, which doesn't exist in the real world, impossibly long egg, uh, legs and, you know, perfect body and so forth. So within that context, I'd, I'd only ever heard about it. Um, I, you know, I know that, you know, it's an institution. It's, it's part, it's woven in completely part and parcel of the American culture since the 60s. And Mattel has been trying very hard to kind of further that cause and, you know, kind of make it. And um, I think the biggest issue of this movie is, the personally I had with the movie is that, yes, it's a critique of, uh, you know, it's a critic of the patriarchy. There's no question about it. And, and, it's, and it's pushing for, you know, a feminist uh, ideal but it's doing that in a movie that is making Mattel more, more, more money so that they can sell more of these dolls to people. Ooh. So it's kind of, it's uh -huh. kind of, what are you doing, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of, you are critiquing something which actually helps further the thing you are critiquing. So it's, so I'm, I'm kind of torn between that. I, I still don't know what that ending was about. I thought the ending of the movie Babylon, Awful. remember the movie Babylon? I didn't we see didn't it. Watch it. With Margot, yeah. Margot Robbie was also in that movie. It's literally like 10 minutes of weird images like on, on the screen yeah. showing up. This one had like, you know, little birds in the sky. I'm like, what am I watching? Yeah. So this, it's impossible to convey existentialism on the screen. It's very difficult to do it. And it looks silly. And so that ending was... I don't, I don't want to, it's different. I don't know if it's misguided. So I'm frankly surprised that it has the universal adulation that it does. I, I will say the movie is fun. It, it is a lot of fun in the first half hour. I yes. like the way that they were dancing yeah. and the Kens were dancing and kind of it was playing with how would Barbie do in the, in our current world and you know how Ken being, um, naive would kind of adapt to the patriarchal standards like it was kind of cute i, I kind of enjoyed it but you know you were talking about emotional connection with oppenheimer i was watching this whole movie like from another room i was completely disconnected from it i felt nothing for the kens i felt nothing for the barbies and at the end i was like hmm, okay i mean it was fun but you know 
a half hour episode of the great British cooking show is fun. I mean, that gives me more <laughs> joy. So I, I realize I am not at all the demographic for Barbie. So I, I, I don't have, I don't have ill wishes for it. I, I don't wish it harm or anything. It just wasn't for me. Well, I am the demographic, right? right. I am the person who played with Barbie. Right, right, and right. I think that's the problem I have with this movie. I think it's a lot of burden, especially around the patriarchy issue, to put on one doll's shoulders, yeah. right? I think the story overall doesn't make any sense, especially this transition from Barbie land to the real world. We're led to believe that Barbie's owner no longer believes in her. And that's the reason for these two worlds merging together. But it makes no sense at all. And then you've got this whole corporate America, oh. Mattel... Will Ferrell. Ridiculousness. What was Will Ferrell led doing? by Will Ferrell, which what doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> I mean, the fact that we blame a doll for contributing to women's issues is a ludicrous thing to start with. Sure, she's she has a unattainable figure, but so does Kim Kardashian. I mean, it's just it, and then to kind of hope that a movie about said doll is going to address them is just silly. So I think it's just totally mixed up. It's got these three themes going on and they don't make any sense. Like the merging of these two worlds, what is doll world? And then what is it doing with the real world? And then you have real Barbie going into the real world. It just, there's no reason for it. Just, it's all ridiculous. <laughs> it's such a disappointing mess. And it should be ridiculous. It's a Barbie movie. It's a movie right, about Right, but then a doll. it should be joyful and fun. But other than that yes. first 20 minutes, yeah. it, it kind of goes downhill and there's no joy. And then really we're just left with kind of, um, yeah, if you saw two people rollerblading with long blonde hair and, you know, looking right. like dolls, looking like 80s figures, of course we'd laugh. So there's nothing even smart about the humour. No, I agree. I mean, I think the, the, the concept here, I think I, I can see something buried within what she's trying to do here. But unfortunately, Greta Gerwig, Greta Gerwig failed to execute somehow in the writing. I think she got lost in all the themes. And the movie feel plays out that way. Like I say, I mean, there's no, um, there's no, there's no fun to what should be a fun world and yeah barbie going out the, the fish out of water kind of story with barbie could be very very funny i think right. you, you, you could mine that horrendously for laughs i mean it could be like splash but i think she wants barbie to be um mm -hmm. something other than the stereo i mean she you know she's she keeps calling herself stereotypical barbie but um she's not very stereotypical in, no. in the sense of the stereotypical well, barbie would be the barbie we all criticize right the unattainable figure you know the barbie that probably the blonde know, hair the blue eyes the, all of the that. bimbo yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and so but because she refuses to let the character be that bimbo then what what, what we're, we're struggling to kind of say well fish out of water bimbo in in the real world and you know like the legally blonde joke right where reese witherspoon is the the the, the, bim, the bimbo in law school, but... Her, but she has intelligence. But her smarts come out in unconventional ways, but they're, right. they're admirable and and, um, and very pro-feminine. aspirational. Right. Yeah. But we didn't get that from this Barbie. Right. But I think she starts... I'm, I'm, I'm not defending it, but I, I, the way I saw it is she starts off as the stereotypical Barbie, but very clearly when she starts having questions about, you know, death, 
then she stops. I, I think her journey begins. She's she's no, she's no longer that stereotypical Barbie. So I saw that it's just it a death? label. Why is it so just she's Barbie gone but wrong? It, but it goes from dancing and enjoying yourself every day to a question of death, <laughs> because, and that's the change. Like it doesn't even make sense. No, it makes sense because she. This is what I took away from the movie: is is she is owned by somebody who is thinking of death. So that <coughs> that that concept of death kind of filters into her because by virtue of her owner, right? So it's kind of like Toy Story uh, in that perspective. And I understand that the movie wants to make a critique of, you know, wants to talk about how, you know, we are putting women in a corner, blah, blah, blah. Although, you know, to its great credit, credit, it's like the United Nations of Barbies. There's so many Barbies of different colors, ethnicities, their, you know, uh, uh, gender expressions. Um, but for me, it was... The part which is funny is, of course, you can make a movie which is kind of criticizing uh, patriarchy. But when the America Ferreira character goes into full out speech, for me, I was cringing. I was me like, too. this does not need to be said. If, if, if you have created your movie well, everything she says yes. should be self-evident. But I know people clap at that. So I, I again, I'm... I think the three of us might be in the minority because it's not that the movie is just done well in the US. It's done well in Copenhagen. It's done well in, in Delhi, India. So it's resonating at some level. I'm, I'm, not, I'm failing to understand what it's resonating with. Yeah. I think if you're a young girl and you, you're, not, you're not understanding you know, all this criticism, you may just enjoy it for the production design and for you know how pink, pink it is paint, and yeah. you know how haha you know she fell off her roller skate you know whatever but adults are really really embracing it so I, I i don't know what i'm what i'm missing well the same thing that rashmi and i are missing i mean i think at the end of the day um yeah the, the movie fails to work for me because it, uh, it 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 misses what needs to be in a movie like this which is you know fun like mm -hmm. genuine, genuine kind of love for the character. I don't think it loves the Barbie character. No, it doesn't. As it, much as it thinks it does. No, it doesn't. And it and and to think that Greta Gerwig had access to all of the IP and Mattel, and they kind of gave her a free hand. To think that she would be that self, not self depreciating. To think that she would be so, so nasty about Mattel. I don't think the people who work at Mattel are fairly represented by this board of like 20 businessmen sitting in a room being being that pathetic like that was very on and i'm look i'm not saying we, well we went to the barbie museum and an exhibition in toronto a couple of years back rashmin kind of pulled me into it and said really barbie but it, what i loved about it was um how over the years there's been this recognition that barbie stereotype um needs to kind of have different uh themes to it and you know I, I feel like the people at Mattel have you know maybe not moved as quickly with the times early on but I think now they're kind of um you know very aware of of you know having dip barbies in different races and different shapes and sizes professions. Professions. professions you know things that girls can look up to other than like you know being the housewife in a bikini kind of barbie you know Today, today we've got Doctor Barbie, we've got Pilot Barbie, we've got all these everything wonderful um, aspirational young girl, you know, um, <clears throat> things. And the, the movie doesn't. The movie's kind of fighting with that in some ways. 
Well, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Uh, so my, my thing is, what's the other alternative though, right? So the other alternative is you make a Barbie movie, which is all bubblegum, right? Where, where Barbie Fine. has... Where Bar- so, but then that becomes... I'm sure, I'm sure Mattel would love to make that movie, but... Gervig and Noah Baumbach have no interest in that. And right. so, and so my, my thing is then that, a movie like that just becomes a commercial for Barbie. Well, they right? have those an, in animation, right? So Mattel makes a lot of animated Barbie Fine. movies. I know, but Transformers is a, com- I know. a commercial for Transformers. Right, I know, so what but is I don't the point think, I don't of this think movie? it would be... I don't but, think it would be the cultural phenomenon it is if somebody just made a live action uh, commercial for Barbie, where Barbie is just going around putting on different dresses and trying on look, going to the beach, right? I think that when you put the name Barbie on the movie and then do some kind of, and they're going to sound horribly like right wing, um, you know, cr- crazy person here, but you know, to do some sort of a postmodern woke take on on Barbie, which is what I think this movie has become i mean it's so hateful to its male characters it's like you 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 know like oppenheimer you said doesn't have strong female characters the male characters every single male character in this movie is basically hateful but that's because that's barbie world ken has no purpose in barbie world it's always been I like know, that but it's hateful <laughs> but it's hateful yes i don't think it's hateful i i agree with joe yesterday it 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 doesn't like its male characters at, at all. all and then it has to make ken even more hateful to the extreme where he becomes this obnoxious patriarch. Well, he becomes... And then know, he has to kind of suffer through that, right? He, he has to get dick. his... I mean, he has prop, to get his comeuppance in a sense. Props to Ryan Gosling, but I mean, you know, they make him into a bro, you know, you get yeah. a kind of bro Ken and it's like, and it's like dumbass bro Ken to, to make its point. I'm just like... He doesn't become oh scientist Ken and find a, find a you know, a, a resolution to world peace. I can't believe I'm defending Barbie from, from the two of you because I'm not, I'm not a big defender of the movie. But I bought, I bought the idea of Barbie getting, um, almost developing a conscience and Barbie developing a question about what's her place and a question about where she wants to be and thinking about existential things. I, I bought up until the last 15 minutes. And I love that Until the last 15 minutes of the movie where I still don't understand what that ending is about. I kind of went along. No. I mean, I, I was, I was dispassionate but, about it, but I was not fighting no, it. I, I loved that too. And I'm yes. not saying that that part is wrong. It's just, they wrote themselves in that direction and then didn't know where to go. Yeah. And, oh, agreed, agreed, and then, and agreed. Then they, yes, and when in in doing so, they um, systematically extracted a lot of fun from the world that should be Barbie, and so we end up with this movie that, um, honestly, I, I looked around and there were a couple of people in the back seats with glasses of wine and their pink t-shirts, and they were talking all the way through it, and they were laughing at all the the, the silly the things, obvious things. You know, they had glasses of wine with them. You know, great girls' night out, whatever. But they weren't into this movie at all. The rest of us that were there to actually watch this movie were kind of sat there with folded arms. And I felt the entire theatre's disappointment as we walked out. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I really did. Yeah. Same. Was, I was it, in the screening. And I was with family members and, and, and you know, we had a, a young teenage girl. Uh, uh, I mean, 16-year-old. 16-year-old who was with us and her brother. Um, yeah, ideal target markets for a, a fun movie like this. And they were like, hmm... That was that was different. They had no fun with this at all, and I felt bad for them because you know we had pulled them into the Barbenheimer hype train, and 
And I felt really bad that they had wasted their Friday night sure. in the US, they're from the UK, um, seeing this movie. Mm. They, they were so disappointed. And here's the thing. The movie, the movie's biggest failure is that Barbie either needs to be pink or gray and Birkenstocks. And that's not what women are. None of us, none of us need to make the choice about being either girly or not girly, right? None of us lose ourselves by putting on a fluffy pink skirt. Right. And, and the movie seems to want to jam us into a, a, a square peg that says either you are this or I, you are that. I don't think the movie is saying you should burn your bra. I don't think no, it I is. No, I don't think it's saying burn your bra, but I think it's, it's suggesting, yeah. but it's suggesting that a life of wearing pretty things and being pretty is exclusive to being someone smart who also has aspirations to be great things. Mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because... Margot Robbie, can, through all her existential awakening, she continues to be she well, good looking. And, and she again, wears good not clothes. to give away spoilers, but the end. Right, the end. I I don't get. I right, don't and understand that's what the end, the end yeah. suggests. Right. I, I think I've had enough yes. of talking about this. Um, I'm not feeling pink anymore. Look, I'll sum this one up. I think it's great sets. I think the soundtrack is good. The acting is good. I think Margot, Margot Robbie is doing a great job being Barbie. I loved Kate, Kate McKinnon mm-hmm. in it. McKinnon? Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon is excellent in this movie. But it's a lot of hot pink fluff that doesn't deliver on the promise. And I love the fact that troves of women are wearing pink and going out and drinking their glass of wine together with all their friends to watch this movie, but you will not leave the cinema feeling like this movie delivered. Go watch Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie, Mm. which is an amazing documentary instead. I'm going to give this one four out of ten. Bang. Wow. That's that's a lot less than I expected from you. But yeah, Um, mine's not much better. It's... It's five out of ten for me, and it's five out of ten for all the reasons I stated. Nobody seemed to have fun in this movie, and I didn't. And I was puzzled constantly at where it was going and why it was doing the things it was doing and and why I wasn't having more of a good time, why I wasn't laughing at more of the jokes. There were a couple of jokes that, you know, they were excellently written, and it took me a couple of seconds to get it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's funny. But it, it's it's hateful attitude to most of its characters is just perplexing to me. Didn't like it. Yeah. I yeah. I I don't think it's. I don't. I, I yeah. I mean, my, I I didn't find it hating anybody or or its male characters in particular. I think it was just saying, you know, women have been under men for a long time. It's it's it, it wouldn't be so bad if you reversed it. So I don't think it's man hating. But you know, I'm I'm super woke, and I for me this is like. Good, you know, fly, you know, <laughs> fly your flag. I just, yeah, I had a problem with the end of the movie. I kind of went along and apparently there's all these jokes about, you know, Ken's that Mattel has released over the years and Barbie's that they've released over the years, which, which with under the lens that we are seeing things right now, we might find affection, uh, obje- objectionable. Offensive, or, yeah. Or offensive. Or yeah. So, and then there was a whole Ken dance and people were clapping in the, in the movie. I saw so maybe it's there is a Ken dance in the animated version, but I, I wasn't aware that there is a Ken dance. So again, I'm, I'm not the right demographic. Mm-hmm. I did not hate it. I enjoyed it except for the last 15 minutes when I was scratching my head and when there were birds flying in the sky, I was like, oh, this is not good. So I, I just, 
it's it's a six out of ten for me. I'm not the right person for it. I want to speak with somebody who really, really loved it mm. and really enjoyed it and try and understand yeah, it. Yeah, I Which think that's a good... 84% of the audience that's right. the and 88% of critics. So we clearly missed something here. And I, also want, and I also want to say, I acknowledge that this was a very difficult assignment to begin with, right? It's very hard to make a smart, clever, biting you know, satirical. satirical version of Barbie Don't that, do it that does double duty, that makes all the true Barbie lovers right. happy and at the same time is making criticism. So don't do it. Well, I think it's possible to do it, but I think they overdid it. Everything that, that America Ferreira's speech in the movie, that, that for she talks for three minutes about women can do this, but they cannot do that. That's great writing. That's wonderful. And I believed every one of it. Same. But it does not need to be set out. So th there is some version of this movie. And, and it doesn't fit in a Barbie movie. Yeah. We just spent um, a few days in Scotland with um, our, great, our great nieces. And, you know, they're very young right now. They're too young for this movie. But I wanted the movie that I could say, when you're a little older, go see this and be inspired. Or we'll buy it for you, yeah. Right. Be, in, be inspired by this, right? This is, this is what, you know, you're, you're a young woman entering the, you know, you're in, you know, you, you, when, when they start to come of age, this is this is who you can be. I, I would I would say go watch Legally Blonde, you know, uh, work, you know, over this and say, you know, girls, you can be all of these things, right? You can be pretty, you can be feminine, and you can be strong and and uh, you know smart and uh, independent. And this yeah. movie doesn't. This movie's trying to say those things, but it fails. And I so know, I, and, and I, can't, maybe, I can't recommend them to see it. And maybe I'm being a bit of a Greta Gerwig apologist. I mean, she's too smart. She's written the script for Francis. She wrote the script for, you know, she's very, very smart and very, very clever. I think it's it's in the implementation that something's not quite gone wrong. And, and, and I think the movie with all its faults, I don't think it's harmful. I think if a six-year-old sees it, they might not get much of it, but I don't think they will be no, wrongly influenced or something, right? Um, but I'm not going to recommend that they see it. Sure. Right. Sure, I get and that, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need somebody who really loved this and understands. Well, or if any of our listeners love this movie, write in and tell us why. And we will read it out on air. Yeah. Yeah. Here so endeth Barbenheimer. Yes. A four, five, and a seven. No, four, no, five, and a six. A six, yes. <coughs> yes. All right. Wow, that was long. I'm just, sorry, I'm going to repeat, say what I started at the beginning. I'm just happy that we, for the studios, for better or for worse, created this event that kind of got the whole world excited and which resulted in lots of tickets being bought for yeah i love for two movies, yeah for two movies which are actually pretty hard sales i think yeah i Each agree one in, in, in their current version yeah. so all power to them let there be another bobbenheimer you know, frankenzacker whatever <laughs> bring, bring two more blockbusters <laughs> yeah pit them against each other create excitement get people it. to watch to go to the cinema. i love it yeah, yeah. all right uh aaron 18 that was a long podcast um, thank you as always for listening we had a lot to say about these movies if you did then hit us up on social um, you know we're, we're probably horrible at our email but Instagram Facebook you know let's, let's get a debate going because I think um, both of these movies uh, left us with a lot more to talk about I, could, I think we could have easily podcasted for another hour on both movies so uh, thank you for listening as always um, sorry for the production delay we'll get ourselves back on track um, until our next podcast i guess it's too many movies and too little time a goodbye from me 
And me. And me as well. 